Well, amen. Give praise to our Lord here this morning. Wonderful worship. That was powerful. Turn your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 15. And let's all stand together as we read this base text here for us this morning in honor of God's word for Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. And it reads, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God, God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called, his holy people who are his church and his glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power power for us who believe in him and this is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world but also in the world to come and God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church and the church is his body It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We're thankful for the prayers that we have for one another. We're thankful that you hear our prayers. And that even in times in which we're uncertain of what to pray, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. That God, that we can come to you, we can praise you, we can thank you, and we can ask you. And that prayer, prayer um, doesn't always change everything around us, though it does at times. God, I'm thankful that sometimes it's just you changing us, changing us as we live in this fallen world. So God, lead us, help us, help us to improve our prayer lives, help us to pray for one another. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, when I pastored near St. Augustine, um, there in St. Augustine, which is the oldest city, by the way, in America, it has a beautiful, a beautiful lighthouse. It has the black, white, swirly, you know, they call it day marks, is actually what it is, what they call the markings on a lighthouse. And it's a beautiful, beautiful lighthouse. And different lighthouses have been throughout the years. In fact, there's one called the Tower of Hercules that is um, on the cliffs of Dover in the UK. It was constructed around 40 AD. It's been around almost 2,000 years. It's impressive on how they build uh, some of these lighthouses, and they last so long. And I give you a lot of different facts about lighthouses, but the main purpose of a lighthouse is almost to act like a traffic light for the ships that are out to sea, warning them and showing them and letting them know that There's danger in certain areas and where they need to go. And just as a lighthouse gives direction, just as a lighthouse is, and that light is seen for those ships, letting them know and communicating what needs to be communicated, and as they see those day marks, the beautiful paintings that are on the side and swirl marks that are on them, we're reminded 
that in our faith, that in Christ, that what God has given us in our salvation is not to be hidden. Sometimes, maybe you've said this yourself, that, well, my faith is very personal. On one hand, it is a very personal thing, I agree. But on the other hand, when we read God's word, we realize that this personal faith, this personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, that he has challenged every single one of us in Christ to share our faith, to pray for one another. It's not something that should be hidden, or else we're like a lighthouse with its light out. What good is a lighthouse that can't shine its light? It's of no value. It's of no good. It's of no value of warning where there might be some danger signs. And sometimes in this life, when we give a warning or we say, hey, but God's word says this, we shouldn't go this direction. Sometimes people do mistake that for maybe being judgmental. Maybe you've been accused of that before. I have. It wasn't my intent. But to point people to Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. See, the Lord knows that we can have all the knowledge we need in our heads, but feel dead inside our hearts. And there's a connection between loving the Word of God and loving the people of God. And in this passage here, Paul is modeling a prayer uh, for those on how to pray for one another and to pray for wisdom, to pray for those who are around them. So in verse 16, and I, I named this, this message, I pray, because at least here in the NLT, the, the three main passages we're going to look like, we see Paul say just that. He goes, I pray, and he goes into detail on how he is praying. And so in verse 16, he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. This church in Ephesus was near and dear to the heart of Paul. Remember, he started this church. He helped start the church in Ephesus. He had total had been there about three years. So he, he loved these people. He was for these people. And the, I mean, these people had persevered. And we had read in the book of Acts how basically a riot was started there in Ephesus because the, the silversmiths were selling these, these little gods of um, Artemis, and and they weren't selling as many anymore, and they were getting upset, and people didn't have enough, uh, weren't making enough money or the same amount of money they once they once were making, and people were getting upset because so many were coming to Christ, it was hurting their business. I mean, it's wild when you read the Book of Acts, and so Paul, he's praying for them, he's thinking of them. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to prayer, our motivation for prayer should, should be not to get things off our wish list. Our motivation for our prayer should be to be close to the Lord. There's a little bit of mystery when it comes to prayer that, that when we pray, we can't see God. We may have a sense of feeling of that he is close. And there's sometimes that when you pray, you don't feel close to God. It doesn't mean he's not there. It just sometimes means that, yeah, there could be something we need to confess. Sometimes it's just, you know, our faith isn't based off feelings. Feelings are nice and they're good, but it's not always based off that. But what, are, what is our motivation when it comes to praying? 
And, and, and so what are we motivated by? Now, don't get me wrong that, that a, a part of prayer is asking God. In fact, I would encourage you that when you pray, that we see this biblically, that when you go to the Lord in prayer, start off with thanking God. Thank God for who he is. Thank God for what he's done. Thank God for your week, the blessings that he's given you. Thank him. Thank him. And, and, and secondly, confess any sin that's in your life. But, but preacher, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to say that to God. He already knows anyway. He already knows everything about you, and he loves you. So we confess our sin, not to get saved a second time or a third time or tenth time. No, no, no. We confess our sin to restore fellowship. He already knows. And we confess our sin to deal with it in our hearts. God wants us to deal with it. He wants us to move on from it. Does he want us to repeat it? No, he does not. So we confess our sin. Use that time to confess your sin. And, and, and next, next, after you confess your sin, is ask God. A part of prayer is asking God for things. Or asking prayer for dealing with a certain situation or a person. I don't know what it could be for you, but part of prayer is asking God. He wants to hear from you. And we see clearly in Scripture that you have not because you ask not. So part of prayer is asking. Now, do some people use this asking part of prayer and think, you know what? God must be a genie in a bottle. I'm just going to get my three wishes. He's going to do exactly what I say. But when you end up studying all of God's word when it comes to asking, um, we, we see biblically that we should not ask upon our own lust. So if there's something that we're asking for and it's just kind of feeding the flesh and we're just asking for it because, man, that's just what I want. I'm not interested in what God's will really is. I just want what I want and I know what I want, right? We all have done that before, but that's not what God is. And so when we look at prayer, we see that we don't want to pray upon our own lust. We want to pray for God's will to be done. And, and so that should be at the heart of our prayer. And then lastly, um, praise God. Praise God that he hears your prayers. Praise God that he knows. And in our prayers, <clears throat> God always answers our prayers. Always. 100%. Now, if you're thinking, well, that must be 100% yes. Have you told your child yes to everything? No. You would end up eating ice cream every single meal or some kind of junk food. Or you're stopping at McDonald's every time you, you go by. You'd be getting them anything they wanted at the grocery store. Every, the, the kid wouldn't have a tooth in his head or teeth in his head or have a, a, a tooth in his mouth. Yeah. God sometimes says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait, I have something better, I have something different, or sometimes it's wait, right now is not a good time. And then lastly, is sometimes he says, and he said this to the Apostle Paul, and Paul had asked him to take something away, many think it had to do with healing of his eyes. We don't know, but many speculate. 
And on three different occasions, he asked, and God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, I know this is a pain. I know this is a thorn, but I'm not taking it away. I'm going to walk with you through it, and my grace is going to be sufficient for you. So God always answers our prayers, my friend. We may not understand why he doesn't always answer certain prayers the way we want him to answer. And one day that I think we'll find some of that out down, down the road. And so prayer may not always change our situation, but it can easily change me in that situation. And sometimes that's what God is up to. He's changing my heart. He's changing and changing my viewpoint of what truly is important, of once what I thought was really important. Maybe later down the road I go, you know what, I'm glad I didn't get exactly what I was praying for because that would not have worked. Or I don't really value that the way I once valued it. And here we see that Paul, he asked God to give spiritual wisdom to them. We need wisdom. And this goes with our upward verse. So if any of the ones involved in upward or upward verse has been James 1, 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it. I'm seeing who did their upward verse right now. Uh, he'd give it to you. There's a little more to the verse though, and is that he will not rebuke you for asking. And, and, and maybe you need wisdom and in the situation you need wisdom and you're like, God must be busy. He must be so, why would he even care about little old me? There once was a pastor, I remember reading down who what pastor it was, that he mentioned in one of his sermons that he had a, a lady come to me, come, she, he said he had come to him and had told him that preacher, I only bring the big things to God. I don't, I don't worry him with the little things. And he said, ma'am, all your big things are little things to God. <laughs> He's not intimidated by your big things, and he doesn't feel like his time is wasted even on the little ones. You can bring it all to him. He wants to hear. He wants to hear. And we need wisdom. Every one of us. We need wisdom in how we raise our children. We need wisdom maybe when it comes to a health decision, right? We need wisdom when it comes to our jobs, when it comes just to our own spiritual welfare and what we do and decisions we make and people we deal with. We need wisdom. We have a mountain of information. Every one of you right now, you have more information if you have a smartphone in your pocket than the president did in 1982 that he even comes close to. I mean, there was a time, there was a time, and some of you know this time, and it makes me sound old when I say this, but that's all right, that we didn't have Google. We went to the encyclopedia that was, you know, on the wall, and hopefully you had the whole set, or someone didn't borrow, you know, Jay, and you're like, where's Jay at? Like, is just Jay in someone's room? No, it's probably underneath, you know, your son's bed. That's usually where it's found at. Like, why is it there? And that was, then you're like, what do I do? Where, where do I go? There was these places called libraries. They had these books, and you would go. And they would put the newspapers on a stick, and you'd sit there with a stick, and you'd fold. 
And if you were with friends, you fought with those sticks and <laughs> got kicked out of the library. Uh, not me. That was other people that... Sometimes we need wisdom. And he asked God to give insight so they could grow in their knowledge of God. And in, in the New King James, it says enlightenment. In the NLT, it says to give spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. How can we grow in our knowledge of God? Here's a couple passages I want to give you. It's Psalms 18. It says, you, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My, my God turns my darkness into light. Psalms 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, is a song about God's word. And that's really what Psalms 19 is about. It is a song about God's word. And in verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And this verse, and we see this not just in one place, but it establishes the basic method of God's illumination. What is illumination? It's when God's word enters the heart of a person. It gives light and understanding to them. And for this reason, we are repeatedly told to study the Word of God. We want to hear from God. And it seems in certain sections of Christianity, it's like they're constantly looking for some kind of special revelation of God, and which is interesting that, that they're looking for something outside of God's Word when we need to point back to God's Word. The Holy Spirit is going to use the Word of God to lead us, to convict us, to correct us, to nudge us. We need the Word. He's going to speak to the Word. The Holy Spirit will not speak in contradiction to the Word. I'm always a little leery. You don't see this near as much as in Baptist churches, but I've seen it, is that um, sometimes people will come to you, maybe you've had this, and that God told me to tell you, or you know, I'm like, well, wait a second. That's, to me, I'll be honest with you, that's a big red flag. I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, last I checked, I had the Holy Spirit. I had God's word. Where are you in this picture? I, was the Holy Spirit so busy he had to send you to give me a message? I'm always a little leery, just saying. Big red flag to me. And yet in certain sections of Christianity, it happens all the time. God told me to tell you, I don't think so. I'm going to call baloney on that one. The illumination of God's word as we read God's word. Listen, I'm so glad you're here to listen to God's word and message and it feeds us. It's a, it's a part of us growing and feeding ourselves spiritually. It is. You know, being in a, a, a small group or a life group uh, is part of that feeding. It is. I don't want to minimize those things. Those are important. They're, they're part of God's word, what tells us what to do. But the number one thing that will change you, number one thing that will change you and bring you close to God is reading the Word of God on a consistent basis. That's it. I'm not saying you don't feel close to God when you come to church and you hear His Word or it's being taught to you. Th those are important. But if you want to grow in your faith, and you're serious about growing in your faith, reading the Word of God must happen consistently. That's it. 
I mean, whether you're reading it, I know there are some, maybe on your job, you could listen to the Word of God. There's some free, great Bible apps through Version that many of you use. In fact, our, our, our Bible notes are notes that you have that you get here. They're, they're on Version as well. You can look up the church and find the notes each Sunday morning. But, um, man, it's free. You need to be in the Word of God. I remember I had one young lady that was going through some, was going through therapy and um, was, was seeing somebody for some things she was dealing with. And, and I'm not minimizing that. I think that can be a very positive thing for you. But she said to me, you know, there is, there is, there's no one like the Holy Spirit. That, there's no one better to help you than the Holy Spirit. The best therapy I ever received was from being in God's Word, taking those passages, hiding them in my heart. And that's what we see in God's Word. That in 119 verse 11, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. How, how do we conquer some of these sins that are habitual in our lives that we consistently deal with. And we're like, man, why am I dealing with this? Take God's word, hide it in your heart, memorize it, chew on it, and, and meditate on it. It will change your heart. It will change how you feel. It will change you. You see, illumination always points to action. Why does God help us understand his word? So we are able to live in its light. That we're able to be the light and salt in our area. 1 John 1, 6 challenges us and says, If we claim that fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. You could put it this way as well. If we say we've been enlightened, but still walk in the dark, we lie about understanding God's word and so we're told that as many are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god and and how do you know if someone truly is a believer this is what i've noticed in church they love the church it doesn't mean they agree with everything that happens in a church it doesn't mean that they don't realize that there's imperfections in a church but they love god's people they love God's people. They love being in his house. They love being around God's people. It doesn't mean there's no one who drives you a little crazy sometimes, but you love being around God's people. That is a mark. And in fact, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, it may just be, it may just be that you really truly don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And so the illumination, illuminating and leading work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a confirmation that we are indeed the children of God. So Paul prayed that their hearts would understand. That they would understand. Notice what he says in verse 18. I pray that the hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those who he has called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So we see their confident hope. You know, we can look around today in our world, and there may be many things that we're not very confident in. We can look at the stock market and go, well, it's high, but it's going to dip. What goes up 
comes down. And many of you have lived through dealing with some of that. We can look at jobs, we can look at cars, and eventually a car will break down, need repair. Sometimes jobs are here one moment and then something comes along and that job is just not available any longer. I mean, how many of you worked at Blockbuster at one point in time? Maybe you were, it gone. It's not there. Things change. But Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed, and he wanted them to understand this confident hope that they have. That there's future blessings up ahead. That heaven isn't just a boring place. There's blessings that he has for us and in store for us. And that one day, this confident hope that we have in Christ is that he is coming again. Jesus is coming again. He will return. Now, in Christianity, there's some different views when when it comes to um, um, some end-time stuff. But most all conclude that, hey, Jesus made it clear he's coming back again we don't know when but he is coming back again and that is something we can be confident in don't be like the pharisees when jesus came the first time he came and they thought well this is no way you're from nazareth how could you be the messiah there's no way it could be you we we know your parents there's no way it could be you you're not the political leader that we really wanted that would come and get rid of the romans it it can't be you and they, what, what had happened? They had made their own Messiah. And many do that today. They, they've made their own Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. They made their own Jesus. They made their own God, and it's not the God of the Bible. And so we want to read God's Word. We study God's Word. And if God is making every one of us more and more like his son, Jesus. I think we should know what he's making us into. So we read his word and he shows us. And this is our confident hope that God's in control, that he rose again, and that he's coming back again. You can put your confidence in him. And notice what he says, that we are, we are God's rich and glorious inheritance. Let's think about that for a moment. God's inheritance who needs nothing. I mean, what do, you get, what do you get for somebody for their birthday who has everything? I mean, God, there's nothing God really has, needs from us. But yet, he wants your heart. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you to worship him. He's not going to force you to worship him. He wants you. And you are his rich and glorious inheritance. I... I I really cannot wrap my mind completely around that. That, that I'm, I'm his inheritance? Now, maybe you've received an inheritance. Maybe you've received, received a large sum of inheritance. Maybe you had a rich uncle that died. He left you a bazillion dollars. You're like, man, I love that rich uncle now. And that, you know, maybe you never met him. Maybe you barely knew him. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it was your grandparents. It was your mom, your dad. I don't know. what. But you were left an inheritance. And, you're like, and you feel thankful for it. But God... You are, you are his rich inheritance? How amazing is that? I mean, it just, it, 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 you can't really wrap your mind completely around it. That those he has called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance, he loves us. He loves you so much. 
And you may be wondering, I don't know why God loves me so much. I don't, I don't know either. I don't know why he loves me, but he does. And we're precious to him. And as we get into the next chapter, a sermon or two, I mean, it calls us his work, we're called his workmanship. A masterpiece. We don't minimize, don't minimize what God created. And in the kingdom of God, God wants to use you. You are, his you are important to him. He has saved you. He has, he, he has cleaned you. I mean, he has forgiven you. He wants to use you for his glory. What's stopping you from God using you? Is it pride? Pride oftentimes is a reason. Is it stubbornness? It's usually linked to pride. I don't know what the reason could be. God wants you to serve him. He wants you to further the kingdom of God. And he'll use you. And you may think, I'm not smart enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that. The best ability in the kingdom of God is availability. That's it. Are you available for the Lord to use? And if you're available, the Holy Spirit will use you. And if you let him, and you're obedient, you're obedient to the Lord, you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, he will use you beyond what you even thought he could do. Maybe there's a ministry you need to be a part of or even start that's never going to start unless you're the one who does it. And, and, and so it could be something special that you're a part of. We are his rich and glorious inheritance. How awesome and wonderful is that? See, Paul also prayed this, that their minds would understand. They would understand. And there's verse 19. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, that seated in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Mm. See, I want you to understand. It's a little bit of the greatness of God. This same power that he's put in you, he used to raise Christ from the dead. You know, with the naked eye, we can only see about 7,000 stars. The Milky Way contains, we believe, we think, 100,000 billion orbiting stars, and in diameter is 100,000 light years wide in diameter. It's mind-boggling. Give you an idea, and I know our minds can, cannot really wrap around this completely. If you take the speed of light, speed of light per hour travels 671 million miles per hour, 186,000 miles per second. I mean, that is flying. I mean, that is, that is just unbelievable for it to be that fast, and our just galaxy that we're a part of is that wide. So if you could travel per hour, 671 miles an hour like the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years to get across the Milky Way. And that's just our galaxy. It's, it's said that the galaxies that are out there, you just, you cannot number them. I mean, they, you, 
as soon as you get one number, it's like a year later, there's a new updated number that's just, you can't fathom and get. And um, it said that uh, astronomer, astronomer uh, Edwin Hubble, which we've heard of the Hubble telescope, it was named after him. He said the distance between the Milky Way and the Hydra, a group of distant galaxies, are as thick as raisins. And some 2.7 billion light years away of increasing at that speed at 38 thousand miles an hour which is a fifth of the speed of light um that that it's so broad and so so much and it's expanding at that at that crazy crazy rate of speed that we know it's expanding and we don't know how it happened at least we know why it happened right um the world doesn't know how it happened um and we see that everything is 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 in such detail order so much of it that we wonder if some wonder if there's truly a god now there's there's also something called what we call the micro universe and micro universe is this and you've heard of atoms atoms are less than one millionth of the thickness of a human hair in the nucleus of an atom are numerous protons and neutrons that are packed together in such a crazy small space and each proton and neutron consists of three even small particles called quarks. And if a hydrogen atom were four miles in diameter, the nucleus would only be the size of a tennis ball. And the remainder of the atom is mostly empty space with electrons traveling around the nucleus, making billions of trips each millionth of a second. That's in the micro-universe. And yet, some wonder... If we were just a mistake, if it just kind of just exploded and boom. And my question to someone who doesn't believe in God is, okay, well, if two gases or blobs of something hit one another and then boom, we had this big bang, then where, where did those two gases or blobs or whatever came to make the big bang come from? eventually you just end up coming to the conclusion, well, where did that come from? Then where did that come from? Where did that come from? Someone had to create this. As well, when's the last time there was an explosion and it created, it created um, such, such detail of our universe? When there's an explosion, it never creates, it always creates chaos. It doesn't organize. It doesn't organize. You know, when's the last time you put your clothes in the, in the dryer and you opened them up and they all were folded together? <laughs> Never. If you moms could do it, and because my wife, she, she doesn't like folding laundry. She's good at it. I'm not allowed to do it because I'm a horrible folder. But if she could take that basket of folding clothes and throw it in the air and there was a one in a thousandth chance or a million chance it would come down folded, she would do it. She would do it. But we know it's not the case. Chaos come, creates chaos. It doesn't organize. And Paul wants to remind them of the greatness and the power of God and what he has done. And you have, you have to come to the conclusion that someone created all of this. And we believe as Christians that God did all of this. That it's not a mistake. That he made all of this. So I hope that we recognize the power that God has available for us and has given us. You see, God has all authority. 
And as Christians, we can be confident that God has won the final victory. He's in control of everything. Nothing catches him by surprise. He's in control. He's in control of his children. As we are in the family of God, nothing can separate us from him and the love in which we have. I want to show you a passage here real quick. I don't think it's in your notes, but it's in Romans chapter 8. I love this passage. It's at the end. It's in verse 37 through 39. And this is what it reads. It reads, in fact, we'll start in 35. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelmingly victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither any fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from Christ's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able ever to separate us from the love of God, which is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that verse is saying? It's saying nothing. <laughs> nothing can separate you from his love. And that gives me hope. That gives me confidence in knowing that God has saved me, that he is for me. He's not just going to forsake me when I mess up or I'm not in light. No, he loves me. He's for me, and he's with us. You see, he wanted them to be confident in their position as well. Christ fills the church with gifts and blessings, and the church should be a full expression of Christ, who himself fills everything. And the book of Ephesians was written to the entire church. It wasn't written just to one person. He wanted to talk to the entire church. Now, we see in the book of Acts, we read about how the church was on fire for the Lord. So many people were getting saved that it made the silversmiths angry, and there was almost a riot there. We also see this church in Ephesus was written by the Lord Jesus himself. Now turn with me over to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. And this is a part of the seven churches that the Lord wrote to. And this church in Ephesus was one of them. And this is what he wrote. We'll read verse 1 through verse 7. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is a message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance, and I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they are not. And you have discovered they are liars, and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is your favor. You hate the evil deeds of Nicolaitans just as I do. This church 
It's almost like the Lord gives this church, I have good news, I have bad news. The good news, man, you are committed and you are hardworking. When it comes to false teachers, when it comes to evil, you deal with it. If someone's teaching heresy, you don't put up with it. And these people seem to love the Word of God. In fact, these people still love God. God just wasn't first. They didn't love Him the same. And so they're serious about their faith. They tell others about their faith. They minister to human needs. They reach out. They have sound biblical doctrine. But the bad news is this. The bad news is is you don't love me. You're not, I'm not your first love any longer. And they had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten their focus was Jesus. You see, they had all these wonderful things about them, but they had forsaken their first love. And it's so serious that he says, I'm willing to remove your lampstand from you. In other words, if you don't change, I'm going to close your church. Whew. When Jesus says such things, your ears will perk up. And I'm sure, sure theirs did when they hear that you have forsaken your first love. And, and they're, they don't love Jesus the same. They, don't, they love the same, and it probably had happened gradually. They probably had gotten so busy with different activities maybe at their church. We all have busy activities. They had gotten busy maybe focused on their family or they focused on uh, whatever it was being focused on. But what definitely was not the focus was loving Jesus first and foremost. And this was written to the entire church. It wasn't written to one person. It was the overall attitude of the church. And church, it's important that in our lives and in our families that we keep Jesus first. We keep him first. That he has preeminence in all things in our lives. Our families, our jobs, our careers. All Jesus isn't interested in sharing you with anyone else with any other God, or anything that we make our own God. Nope. He's interested only in being number one. And the question you must ask yourself this morning, and only truly you can answer it, is Jesus Christ really first in your life? I'm not saying, I'm not asking you if you love Jesus. I'm not asking you, do you love going to church? I, I, I think you do. But every one of us should ask, hmm, is Christ really my first love? Is he really my first love? And he tells them there's three steps to recover. There's three steps for you and for me. Is remember. Remember when you first accepted Christ. That's one of the things I love about new Christians in a church. They're just like in love with Jesus, man. They don't know much about the Bible. They're just in love with Jesus. They're just excited. They're excited to be there. They bring an excitement like a new Christian in Christ, like they're young in the faith. They're just excited about everything. And things are, you, you don't ever get excited about any, anymore. But they get excited. Remember. That's what he says. Repent. 
Repent means to turn, to change direction, to go the right direction. And he says, return. Return. As we study this wonderful book called Ephesians, I pray that we will read and take to heart these other passages that are so wonderful and beautiful that are warnings and blessings and how we can return if we're far from God. And you can return back to him. Make him your first love again today. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Return. Remember. Repent. Return. Remember. Repent. Return. Let's pray. Father, you are patient. You're long-suffering. And you love us so much. And as we read this warning that was given to this wonderful church, we're reminded in our own lives and in our own church here at Springboro, may we keep Jesus first. May the gospel, which you've commanded us to take out, be a part of the fabric of our lives. And when we repent, that you'll change our mind. When we change our mind, we know that it will change our life. So Lord, I pray that we'll confess any sin here this morning. I pray that we will once again desire your word and know that you're the Spirit of God speaks through your word and leads us and guides us, convicts us and encourages us through your word. But I pray that if there's somebody here that is far from God or they've never accepted Christ as their Savior, that they will repent this morning of their sins. They will ask Christ to save them, to forgive them, that they'll make Christ their Lord and Savior, that they'll pray this morning and accept you. If that's you and you want to accept Christ, it's a simple prayer, but this prayer, prayed in faith, you can pray on your own, you're welcome, but it's, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm repenting of my sins. Jesus, I'm putting my faith and trust and belief in you. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. If you prayed that, please let us know so we can rejoice with you. You prayed and accept Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and you're like one of the people in this church in Revelation the church at Ephesus, they have their doctrine right, they have knowledge of the word, but the fact is their heart 
their heart, in their heart, Christ is not king. Christ is not first. And it's time to remember. It's time to repent. And it's time to return. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. As we go out this week, put at least one person on our heart that we need to invite to church next week. One person on our heart that we need to pray that will accept you as their Savior. We love you and we praise you. And everyone said, Amen.